Vishnupriya Ghosh, professor of English and Global Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara, visited UC Irvine in February 2019 to participate in a conference on the future of global studies. Ghosh, whose work addresses many of the themes we are interested in teasing out as part of our initiative on civil war, has been a generous collaborator and fellow traveler for numerous UCHRI projects over the years. As a result, when we heard she was visiting UCI, we jumped at the chance to record a short interview, a talk bit, on civil war. The following conversation between Ghosh and UCHRI director David Theo Goldberg reflects on civility's precarious relationship to structures of power and resistance. So we'll start with <clears throat> the first of uh, a range of questions. So when you think of civil war, what do you actually think of? So when I think of civil war at this point, um, you know, I'm thinking of uh, rising antagonisms between uh, groups that have re reached a certain point in their expression, and I guess the riot is, you know, the, the modern form in which we think of it, um, uh, where there's a breakdown in governance, um, and uh, to the point, or governance becomes either impossible or uh, dysfunctional. And, um, and that's when something like what we think of as civil society seems to be most at risk. So I'm thinking of civil society as, as a domain of uh, normative uh, regulative procedures which hold uh, state um, power in check. But what seems very productive to me in uh, your questions and your thinking about uh, civil war is um, that the war is all, has always is the underside, because civility and civil society always means a certain kind of forceful and forcible um, um, guarding, or uh, it has a logic of uh, segregation that's built on structural racism and class divisions. And so I actually thought it might be interesting to think about the first time I encountered these terms. Um, and one was, of course, the behavioral model, things that your mother tells you not to be. <laughs> And uh, William Mozzarella in the uh, Indian context has this marvelous uh, image of the pissing man. And he's the kind of the extimate object to civility. It's a thing that you don't want to be. But beyond, beyond the sort of the behavioral um, thing, um, there was, uh, I grew up with this history of civil lines. And these were in urban settlements all over India under the British Raj. These were residential complexes where uh, British officers lived. And of course, they were totally protected by the military lines, which was the forts and the cantonments. So in, in a way, whenever people bring up civility, I always think of the word civil. I think of civil lines and how much uh, the war machine was actually necessary, inimical, you know, to keep that, that civility in space, uh, in place. And the other side of that was within, and they were often called white towns, and within the logic of that, you had, um, they were commonly known as white towns, you had slums quite uh, close to the civil lines, because that's where your gardeners and your nannies and your guards came from. And that's, it was carefully policed, you know, between the civil and the uncivil. So, uh, you know, that, I've never for, forgotten that formation as a kind of a cost or uh, a necessary organization of uh, civility as a social and cultural project which has sort of political and economic teeth, so to speak. So, um, when I think of um, civil war, it's an escalation uh, of an antagonism that was already in place, which is violent and uh, forceful and it's exclusionary and segregated. So, 
Thank you. Uh, which really parlays into the next question. Um, how do concerns with civility emerge in your work on popular media? Yeah, so uh, my personal interest has always been in media that's, you know, considered trashy or schlocky or superficial or transient, all those, all those things uh, that hangs around the popular. Um, but also, you know, the popular, uh, the history of the popular, which is not the liberal fiction of the people embodied in the state, but in post-colonial and global south studies where it's always been the uncivil. And this kind of uh, large groups of people who are always populations. Uh, in, in the demographic calculus of the state, but who were always becoming civil, and they never quite you know, made it into civility. So I've been interested in popular media in that way. But I was reading actually through your um, uh, stuff on Foundry, you know, the publications on Foundry and that amazing piece on gleaming teeth. <laughs> and I was actually thinking of something that uh, is totally pertinent to, uh, to media is the, the uh, guarding of uh, civil speech regarding of what counts, and, and actually the long history of sedition in India. And a very famous, very well-known example is the freedom struggle that is considered not peaceful, not civil disobedience. But uh, there was this guy called Shud Joshin. He was known as Master Da because he was a teacher, high school teacher. Um, and he led the Chittagong Armory Raid in 1930. And when he was captured, as an example, his teeth were hammered out. Because that was actually, because he was uncivil. His speech affected others, and most problematically, his students. And so that was a real example how civility has become actually an instrument, and has, has now unmasked as the instrument of ruling elites, and it's happening in Modi's India, where Binayak Sen in 2007 was imprisoned and fined, and he was actually the uh, vice president of the People's Union for Civil Liberties. So he's been, they've been after all the civil activists. And so I think in our time, the fact that civility could be a kind of a handmaiden to political and economic power is very powerful. If you look at the media and, and the, the work around speech, what counts as speech, what counts as sedition, this becomes uh, really clear. Uh, I don't know if this would translate, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yes. Um, it's so interesting, I mean, the, the relation between teeth and toothlessness, um, uh, something not having teeth, somebody not being able to speak because of... And uh, Jam could see his foe, right? Um, oh, yeah. And the cutting out of the tongue, the incapacity to speak, uh, yeah. to formulate... Uh, yeah, and the relation both to civility and civilization, mm -hmm. obviously, of speech and speech of a particular kind and, and spoken in a particular sort of way. Yeah. Um, that then gets emulated through or um, reinscribed through the right. um, having teeth and not having teeth and so on. Yeah. And I've taught for, for a number yeah. of years in, in you know, post-colonial fiction mm. studies and up to the figure <coughs> of Susan Borton as Katsia uh, himself mm. uh, and the idea of, you know, these, like people like Vinayak Sen who are kind of mediators. You know, they can handle civility. They are civil activists. So they are very aware of the, you know, difficulty of speaking for, mm -hmm. allegorized in the loss of teeth or loss of tongue. Uh, so it's an interesting novel always to think about that interface that, you know, something like subaltern studies would critique, and rightly so, 
but in romanticizing the, the, the people who don't have speech. But it's necessary political work, you know. And so, you know, so, so there's the other dimension of civil society calls, you know, uh, on the behalf of others also. So what then does the idea of civility or civility itself offer to or withdraw from your concept, your conception, your conceptualization <laughs> of improper politics? Yes, so this is something, uh, uh, as I was saying earlier today, I've been invited to write on uh, uh, several things. People want me to look, think about political aspect on social media, which nobody wants to write about, um, but uh, because of all kinds of uh, un uncivil uh, actions. But I've been thinking about it through Ranciere, because he's always been interested in uh, not the proper composition of politics, but how there is an improper uh, politics that's not deliberative, but affective performative. So I've been thinking about even sort of the most superficial things like liking and sharing and retweeting. Mm. Like what does that really mean? I mean, does it mean the people are acting as publics, affective publics? And how do we think around that? And I think this question that you're posing about civil war being arraigned and now on social media more than ever, which plays a key part in all kinds of lynchings and violence, but also every uprising that we know. Um, so, you know, does this tell us something about, you know, how the norms themselves are being pushed? And I think, David, what you've asked about, you know, what is the form of democracy that we are after now? How do, I, how do we remake it? And to rethink how the demos, and he talks about them as partakers who came uninvited to the table, you know, and I'm very interested in thinking about that and not throwing out the baby with the bathwater that is just because there's populism, you throw out all these kinds of efforts. So that's been sort of my interest uh, right now. Great. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by UCHRI in connection with our Horizons of the Humanities Initiative, which is generously funded by the Mellon Foundation. For more interventions on the subject of civil war, visit Foundry, UCHRI's platform for experimentation in the humanities at uchri.org slash foundry.